Revelation chapter 1. I thought we were going to get to verse 7. But there was a word in verse 6 that <laughs> caught my eye. <laughs> and I've got to spend some time there because this is a premise that goes with the entire book. And I am convinced that most Christians, and I'm using this, are sitting in the valley of defeat. They're just sitting there. When the church is sitting in his power. Now that's all the difference in the world about this book. Whether you're sitting in the valley of defeat or whether you recognize him as all power. And that's going to change your view of this book. It's going to go from a book of, of uh, old charts and hocus pocus and predictions to this is a statement of his almighty power. And that's what I love. I love reading about a God who has all power and all authority. Now, there is some things in this book that we will find hard to understand. But we can say this, I know what it's not saying. I know what it's not saying. It's not talking about a puny little God who can't get the job done. Because every other place is talking about the Lord God Almighty. Now in verse 6 it says, And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And there's a word in there that got my eye. And that's the word dominion. And I want to spend some time on that tonight and maybe get into a little bit of verse 7. But let's read verses 1 down through verse uh, 7. The revelation, the apocalypse, the unfolding, the review, the opening up of. Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is which was, and which is to come. And last week I was going to say this. This is one of those. He loved us. Let's see. I had that written down. He loved us in his isness. He loved us in his wasness. And he loves us in his comingness. That's what it says. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is a fa the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, 
and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, let it be. Amen. Amen. Now, this word dominion that's found there in the last part of verse 6 has so much to do with our view of God. And we just like to look into the scriptures and see how this word is used a number of times in the scriptures. And then we can make a wonderful, educated view of this verse of scripture and what it means to us. That God has dominion. God has dominion. Now I, not only do we want, but it's revealed that he is a God that has dominion over all things. Dan and I were visiting the other day, and I really enjoyed it. He's talking about physics. Talking about little bitty particles. and He's studying that stuff. And it just made it that much clearer there in the book of Colossians where it says, By him all things consist. That means everything is held together. Now we have seen, in pictures at least, and some have seen as they walked down the streets of uh, Hiroshima or Nagasaki, saw the results of the splitting of one the power that is contained in one atom was demonstrated twice on people. Now, if God did not keep this all together and let it open for two times, this world would be in such disruption it wouldn't have life on it. By him all things consist because he has dominion over all things. Now, Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus, in her praise song, had this to say in the book of Luke, chapter 1, as we find the first place in the New Testament where this particular word is used. It's translated dominion here in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6, but over here in the book of Luke chapter 1, we find that Mary speaks and it has been translated slightly different there, but it gives us some understanding about what dominion is. And to realize that the book of Revelation shares with us, just like all the other 65 books of the Bible share with us, a God that has all strength and all power and all dominion over all things. Now here in the book of Luke chapter 1 verse 51 but I want to read back up verse 46 here, Luke chapter 1, verse 46. It says these words, And Mary said, My Lord doth magnify the Lord. Now what's a wonderful thing to read, but isn't it a blessed thing to do to magnify the Lord, to speak highly of God? Now it says, My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden, for behold, from henceforth... All generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. And he hath showed strength with his arm. Now that word strength is the word dominion found over in the book of Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6. He hath showed strength with his arm. Now, if his arm is showing almighty strength, just think what God can do. <laughs> he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty 
from their seats and exalted them of low degree. Now Mary is sharing with us what's going through her heart when she's informed that she is going to bear the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in there it shares with us in verse 51, he has showed strength with his arm. The strength of God, the power of God, the might of God, the almighty power of God is demonstrated when we read that word over there in the book of Revelation, chapter 5 and verse 6, or excuse me, chapter 1 and verse 5, verse 6, dominion. He has dominion over all things. He has everything rounded up. He has everything in control. Not one thing happens he has to react to. He does not react. He acts. He is always the first cause of all things. He, when, our, when we talk about mercy, it goes right back to the throne of grace. That's where we find it. We can see the, the, the passing of it. We can see the results of it. We can see the information of it, but it ends up at the throne of grace, just like his love, his peace, his long-suffering, his gentleness, his goodness, every characteristic and attribute of God that we get to witness and enjoy in our personal life goes right back to the throne of God. He is the first cause of all things, and by him all things consist, and he has dominion over all things. He's the one that enforces the law of gravity. And when he purposes he relinquishes that force and iron floats. And he does that with his people. Every force and every binding that is upon us because of the fall of Adam is relinquished when God demonstrates his dominion over us and all things that would hold us down and by the word of his power, he raises us out of a horrible pit. Why? Because he has all dominion. He is capable and able and powerful enough to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. He goes beyond what we're able to, cap to capacitate. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Acts. Oh, just this verse of scripture just... I, I was almost blown out of my chair <laughs> with this verse of Scripture. Acts chapter 19. This word is translated here, mighty. And it, it just uh, shares with me what I was saying um, Sunday night about the law. Most people do not believe that the Word, the Holy Spirit, that God has the ability and power to control his people. And I find the scriptures share that he is able to do that. He has dominion over us, the church. He has dominion over us. He has control. And here in the book of Acts chapter 19, and there in verse 20, it's, it shares this. And you better brace yourself. 
Just look at this verse. Acts chapter 19 and verse 20. The scriptures share this. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Now, I says, whoa. So mightily. And that word mightily, mighty, excuse me, uh, mightily is the word dominion that we find over in the book of Revelation chapter 1. So mightily grew the word of God. What's that talking about? It was so powerful. It shook people from stem to stern. It broke them loose from their old world latched. And they were broken loose from that old mud and muck and brought to the surface and set on a solid rock. So mightily was the word of God in power. It shook people. And it still does. God's people are still shaken by the word of God. He lifts us by it. He causes us to shout with praise because of the word of God and because of him being the very center and core of all the word of God. When we get through the book of Revelation, we'll look back, I trust, and say, that was the book about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all power that he has on our behalf. And he rendered it to us. He makes his people powerful. When we're able to pray in power, and everybody that's able to pray is praying in power. And it's not talking about moving cars out of the road. <laughs> that's not the kind of power we're talking about. It's talking about changing us into the image of Christ. Now that's power. That's almighty power. To take wicked, hell-bound, and hell-deserving people and lift them out of the muck, cause them to float, if you please, pluck them out of their desperateness, and give them the glory of God, that's power. And here it's talking about so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. God's word prevails. I just am absolutely convinced it's the preaching of the word that God uses to prevail over people. To saw them down, to scythe them out, to bring them to him. It isn't foolishness. It's the word of God. God said it is by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It is a prevailing, and that's the only reason the Apostle Paul continued to preach. It was the prevailing work of the word. Prevailing. He prevailed upon people. He prevailed upon circumstances. He prevailed. He broke people down with the word of God. He herded them up by the word of God. It wasn't the preacher that had control over the issues. It was the word of God. It was the same word that brought this world into existence. And it was the same word that caused Lazarus to come out of the tomb is the word of God that is out of in the gospel today. It is that kind of power. We kind of stand in awe at the tomb of Lazarus. We should stand in awe at the mighty power of God over us. To cause us to rejoice in God our Savior. There's not much to rejoice about in this world. So it's just really nice to rejoice in God. 
to pre be prevailed upon. His word prevails. I like that. It's going to win. He's going to win. He's going to win. He's never gone into battle without the purpose of winning. He's not going to come in second best to anything. And we're going to read here in just a minute over in the book of Hebrews that God destroyed him who had power over the death. That is Satan. He prevailed over him. So this mightily, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. The results, there didn't have to be a law passed. Let's back up here just a little bit. The book here then certain of the vagabonds, Jews, verse 13, exorcists took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of Siva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and says, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks, also uh, dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all in the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds, and many of them also which had curious arts, used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. What do we see there? There didn't have to be a law passed. Please take care of the rotten books you have. <laughs> they didn't have to pass a law. God worked on their heart. My goodness. That's what God does to his people. He's going to prevail. It's not the beginning of the race. It's the end of the race. And everyone that ends the race, God has prevailed. Now, turn with me, if you would, over to the book of uh, Ephesians chapter 1, the same word, dominion. It's just sprinkled throughout the scriptures so that God's people will know that God is in charge, that he is the Lord God Almighty, that he is all-powerful, he's all-knowing, that there's nothing goes on without his knowledge, and he is in charge. Now, you know, there's books out. Why do good people suffer? I haven't prevailed on the book to read it. <laughs> All kinds of things. Trying to explain. Explain. And people tell me, God doesn't want anybody sick. It's the devil. And I just don't even discuss it. Because it isn't worth it. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And it takes the prevailing power of God to change our mind. And when God delivers us from ourself and gives us Christ, some of that stuff is just automatic. When I'm sick, it's God Almighty in charge. devil didn't bring it it's god almighty it is part of the curse sickness is part of the curse old age is the curse pains back aches just part of the curse
but God is still in charge. Now, here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, this word is translated power. He has dominion. He has power. He is almighty. The precedent in the first few verses of Revelation is set. The rest of the book is about a God almighty. A God that has the ability to control all things. And angels in heaven sing this song. Worthy is the Lamb. All creation will bow and sing this song. Now here in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19, it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Now the first power in there is not the word. The second power is it's his mighty power. It, power, we think that's great. But mighty power, I like redundancies. <laughs> mighty power, it's not enough for God to let us know that he has power. He has mighty power, almighty power, everlasting almighty power. And that's what God does for his church. He continues to let them know. And that's why we can sit under our tree at rest. Sit, rested, because he has all power. We're not in a fuss, fidgeting, worried, we get concerned. There's no question about it. But there's a difference between concern and worry. Worry. I heard the story one time, and this isn't really scriptural, but I'm going to share it. story about someone heard the rocking chair rocking down in the living room. They got up and went down there, and the devil was sitting in the chair. It says, oh, it's just you. Went back to bed. You know, when you have a God that's almighty... Those things are just not going to be important. He's chained. <laughs> He's chained. All right. His almighty power. Notice there, according to the working of his mighty What kind of power do we have? According to the working of his mighty power. He gives it freely. He gives it to his people. We have power we haven't even dreamed of yet. I can't even imagine the power that God has ordained to conform us to the image of his son. Haven't even, uh, I know what I am. And the Bible says he is conforming me to the image of his son. Now that's a lot of power. That's almighty power. And then in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, same word is used there. It's just Power, almighty, dominion. He has power over all things. He has power over the church. He's the head of the church. He has power over it. And here in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Where's our strength? In the power of his might. He is all-powerful. Our only power is in the power of his might. One time... There was a lady at the school, and she just brought a, bought a Corvette Stingray. And she overheard me saying, one time I wanted to buy one. And she came to me on my prep, and she says, Norm, would you like to take a ride? And handed me the keys. And I got out on the freeway, and I'll have to say, I broke the speed law. <laughs> there was so many horses under that hood. 
and I was going in the power. I was flying along there pretty fast in the power of that car's might. I was at rest. The only, the only muscle I was using was my leg muscle. <laughs> right leg on gas pedal. And our power is the power of his might. We're just cruising along here in, at 10,000 miles an hour at rest in the power of his might. I just am enjoying it, aren't you? To be cruising in the power of his might. His dominion. To enjoy his dominion over us. He's not going to lead us astray. <laughs> oh, sometimes we almost act like it. But he's headed for the, for the end. I mean, and we're just, and sometimes I'm so glad he's got a hook in my jaw. Aren't you? He's got a hook in my jaw. He's taking us along. Now, turn with me over to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. This, what a wonderful verse here. This just takes care of a lot of questions. <clears throat> a lot of questions. Oh, I, I feel so sorry for people that think that Satan's in charge. I just feel sorry for him. Number one, it's unscriptural. And number two, to think that a created being's in charge of God, that's... That's borderline heresy. <laughs> Notice here, Hebrews chapter 2. This word power is the same word dominion. And it says here, Hebrews chapter 2, and there in verse 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, we know about that. The children are partakers of flesh and blood. We know about that. Children of Adam. He also himself likewise took part of the same. Why? Substitution. Substitution. He's going to be the perfect substitute. That through death he might destroy him that had power of death, that is the devil. Now I love that verse of scripture, but the word we're looking at is power. There was this power over death, and that, per, that being is no longer even in the mix. Not even in the mix. Now, most times I've heard this said, oh, look what the devil's doing with that person. It is not, not the devil. It's their nature. And we're looking for scapegoats to blame our nature on. And it's not the devil. It's our nature. It's our own natural man. It's our wickedness. And it's the wickedness of our kids. And it's the wickedness of our parents. And we're caught in the middle with the same kind. We're stuck, and it's our own wickedness, own natural estate. That's just what's happened. That's, that's why things are going uh, muck in the cities. It's their own nature that's causing this. God's just lifting his restraining hand. I'm so thankful for how many years he's kept kind of a cap on this. But he's lifting his restraining hand, and natural man is getting to do what he wants to do, the more and the more, and it's just their natural wickedness. Devil's not outside of Chicago saying, sick him, sick him, sick him. It's natural man's heart inside showing his depravity. And if it wasn't for God, the Apostle Paul said, except for the grace of God, there go I. 
It's him having power over us. Power over us to lift us. Power over us to raise us. Power over us to set us. He had all power and authority even over us. That's what Saul of Tarsus realized. He had all power over him. Stopped him dead in his tracks. Changed his mind about God, which is repentance. (laughs) He had all power. He took his own mind and cranked it around. And that's what he does. All power, all authority, God gives. And it takes that to change one sheep from lost to saved. Same power it took to raise Lazarus. Same power it took to raise Jesus Christ is what it takes to save us. Now, Move over here, if you would, to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 13, the same word is used. A couple other places it's used in the scripture. There's dominion and power. But notice here in Revelation chapter 5, we run into this word again. Dominion in verse 6 of the first chapter. But here in this verse of scripture, it is again power. And notice, notice here. And every creature which is in heaven... That's a lot. And on the earth, and under the sea, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power, dominion, that's that same word, be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the church just says, yay, <laughs> yippee I knew it all along now I got a verse on it (laughs) it was in my heart I knew he had all power and now yes that's true I am convinced of it the scriptures declare it my heart told me but the scriptures have declared it and now I can go to the word of God and say yes he has all power and every creature in heaven in earth and in the sea is convinced of it now there's a whole bunch of people who raise their fists towards god and i know they do because i did but the lord god almighty can bring our fists down and change our heart because he has all dominion He's he's going to win the battle. He's fighting the battle, but he's going to win the battle. Yep, he's going to win the battle. David fought a battle, but he knew he was going to win the battle. (laughs) He went out against Goliath. It was a battle. Young man against a giant. It was a battle. But he knew he was going to win the battle. He says, I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds of the air went into battle. Jesus Christ knew he was going to win. It was a battle. He had to go through it. He went through. He touched. He tasted death for all his people. Had all the thorns of this world's curse on him. Uh, All, everything that transpired in the Garden of Eden was reversed by Jesus Christ. Why? Because he has old dominion. No more tears. What happened in the Garden? A whole bunch of them. But he says, I'm going to have dominion over him, and I'm going to stop him. We don't have that tear now that we're related to Adam. We have rejoicing that we're related to Christ. There were thorns and thistles when he went to the cross. 
He said, there'll be no more thorns or thistles. I'm going to root them out. Now, we got them in our ground, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about spiritual thorns and thistles that would prevent people from looking to God, looking to Christ. He roots them out. He takes our old idols and pushes them away. He causes us to turn from our dumb idols to the living God. Talk about dominion. He's got power over our neck muscles. Power over our neck muscles. He turns us. Turn me and I shall be turned. That's what the prophet said. Why? Because he has all dominion. He takes us and wreaks us around because he has all dominion. Now that's what he said in Revelation chapter 1. And there in verse 6, he says, going back there, he says, made us kings and priests unto God. And we can say, I am a king priest because he has all dominion. He shared it with my heart, how good it is to find it in the Word. <laughs> he says there, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. He's never conceded, given up, quit, backed out, done away. He's never. In the council halls of eternity, he said, this is what's going to happen. And it's being carried out. Now, I have just a few minutes. I'd like to go into verse 7. This and this is like, talk about the first part of this being like that thick potato. I mean, massive. This is like gold. This, it, you can't squeeze it. <laughs> this is so good. Behold, I could just hear John. He's going down here talking about the love of God for him and all, the, all that he has because of Christ. He's a king priest. Everything he has is because of Christ. He's just, he wallowing in it. You ever seen a pig wallow in mud? I just love wallowing in the blessings of Christ. And then he just says, as almost a sigh, and then a statement of promise from God and a desire placed in his heart. Behold, he comes. Now, he came for John not too long after this. John's about 90 years old, 80 or 90, that's what they think. 70, I don't care if he's 70. He could have been 60, but it wasn't very long, and the Lord came for him. The Lord took him out. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The Lord took him. But there's a time, there's going to be a time, when this is going to be absolutely reality for people. Now, every eye is going to see him. I wrote a note here that says, Where is the secret coming? It's not in here. There's no secret coming. When he comes for his people, it's going to be with power and great glory. It's going to be lightning from cover to cover. It's going to be with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. There's going to be some shaken up when he comes. Now that word clouds there, there's something there. There's something there. I'm telling you, there's something there. I just, I'm not convinced that this is that literal cloud. It may be, but there's something there coming in the clouds because clouds are used through the scriptures. I was reading that 
And Hawker has a little article on it in his dictionary on that cloud that led the children of Israel. And that cloud's been used a lot. And, and I'm not, I, ha, I just haven't quite come to it, what, what that symbolized, but it means something good, <laughs> really good. He's coming with, cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. Now turn with me back to the Matthew 24. This is not the first place in the Bible that this is mentioned. Matthew talks about it. Matthew 24 and verse 30. And if we, we just get away from that stuff that's been stirred into, into uh, religion, <laughs> that Darby got a hold of it, you know, and all those, those guys that changed what people had been preaching for years, if they they'd have just stayed out, we wouldn't have any idea that the, any of that stuff would have even applied to what we read here. But just read here, Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, it, sa it says this. Well, back up to verse 27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now that, <laughs> that seems serious to me. Lightning. Now, it does say he's going to come like a thief in the night. Now, all that means it's unannounced. <laughs> doesn't mean secret. It means unannounced. There's a whole bunch of thieves in the night that wish they hadn't have made a noise because they met a 357 Magnum. It was, they were unannounced, but they came noisily sometimes. Now, people make a big to-do out of it. No, unannounced like a thief in the night. But it says here, lightning, thunder, voice of the archangel. And here it's in verse uh, uh, 28, it says this. Uh, oh, excuse me. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Uh, I had a young man one time hand me a track about a new eagle in Israel that's going to clean up all those dead bodies. Brand new, never been seen before. I said, do you believe in evolution? Oh, no, 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 no. Then tell me, how in the world did you get a new eagle? One special to clean up that, all those people over there. I says, it's either evolution or it's a lie. What is it? I never thought of it that way. I says, I'd put my track up then. Throw it away for a while. Because there's no new eagles on the face of the earth. Now, I don't know what this means, but I know what it doesn't mean. <laughs> All right. Then it goes on to say here in uh, uh, Matthew 24, For immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. Does anyone remember the dream of our friend over in the book of Genesis that was thrown in a pit, Joseph. Do you remember the dream? Do you remember the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowed down before Joseph? Now, isn't that interesting? And nobody will say, well, that's that moon out there, and that's the stars up there, and that's the sun that spoke. Now, let's be careful when we start talking about signs in the heavens that really need to be applied other ways. I think this is symbolic, symbolic, symbolic. All right. Then it says, 
And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with the great sound of the trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. And they said, Hallelujah! (laughs) The last sheep has been saved. They're gathering up the elect. Now, notice that. They shall, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall the tribes of the earth mourn, and shall see the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven and power and great glory. What do we see over here in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7? It says, Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. No secret coming. Every eye shall see him. Now this next verse, this next part, I just am thrilled. They that pierced him. Now there's only one group that pierced him. That's the ones that he gathered up. The elect from the four winds. The people whose names are graven on the palms of his hands pierced him. That's the ones he died for. We either believe, well, we don't have to believe it. The Bible teaches it. That's what it is. We can just, we can do whatever we want to with it, but it's not going to change God one whit. We either know that God in his son had particular redemption. He died for a group. They're the ones that pierced him. They're the ones he took on the sin of. They're the ones he became sin for. They're the ones he died for. There's the lambs. That's the sheep. The Lord Jesus Christ says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Those are the ones that pierced him. I was reading tonight about the Lord's Supper. And Jesus said, one of you are going to betray me. And you know what 11, even 12 said? Remember what they said? Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? And it's just so easy for every one of God's people to say, I pierced him. I'm the reason he came. I pierced him. We want to blame it onto the Romans and we want to blame it onto the Jews. But the church pierced Jesus Christ. We pierced him. And there's a whole bunch of people in that same verse are going to wail when he comes. The people who don't know him, the people without Christ, they're also mentioned in that same verse of Scripture. And they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Now, there's going to be a whole bunch of wailing. And there's going to be a whole bunch that no man can number that says, I pierced him. I pierced him. It was I. It was That's the church's byword. It was I. It was I. It was I. It was I. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Zechariah, chapter 12. Zechariah, chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And I'll pour upon the house of David 
and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. I'll pour upon them the spirit of grace and supplication. What it is for God to cause us to turn to see the one that was our substitute. I'll pour on them the spirit of grace and supplication and they shall look upon me whom they pierced and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Oh my. Now that's repentance. Repentance is not over something we got caught about. Repentance is an attitude towards God our Savior. I offended you. I'm the offending party. And God, I'm sorry. I look on you as the one I pierced. I'm the one that drove the nails. I'm the one that raised you between heaven and earth. I'm the one that put you on the cross. But while I did it, you had my name on the palms of your hand. You had your, my name on your breastplate and on your shoulders. And you had me on your lips. I lay down my life for the sheep. God's people says, it is I. It is I. I took him to the cross. John chapter 19. All my life, I, all I ever heard was, oh, that's all the world. They're going to see Jesus whom they pierce. They don't know a thing about it. They have no concept they're going to look at God as judge. And he will be the judge. They're going to wail because they're caught. And then every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess the Lord Jesus. To the glory of God the Father. John chapter 19 verse 37. The scripture says. And again another scripture saith. They shall look on him whom they pierced. Zechariah chapter 12. Revelation chapter 1. We shall look. Now that's what we're going to get to do in the very next verses. We're going to look on him whom we pierced. He's the one with the gray hair. He's the one with the priest garments. He's the one with a loud voice. He's the one with the sword, double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. He's the one with a eyes of fire. He's the one with the legs of brass, feet of brass has been burned in a furnace. We're going to look on him whom we pierced. And you know what? He's the great God Almighty. And we're going to shout for glory. And we're going to sing that song. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. We're going to get to sing it. Christ only died for his people. He for the sins of his people. He because of the sin of his people. And only for his people. 
They're the ones that pierced him. And the Passover is a type. Who was instructed about the Passover? Israel. Israel. Whose land were they? Egypt. Was Egypt instructed? Mm -mm. Not a word. Not a word. They didn't hear it. They could have been walking by Moses when he was instructed, and they wouldn't even have heard it. Oh, they're talking about sheep herding. We don't like that. Who's, the blood was shed for who? Israel. Israel. Who is the lamb selected by? Israel. Who slew the lamb? Israel. Who is it for? Israel. Who is there spared? Israel. Who met wrath? Egypt. There was death in every one of their homes. No substitute for them. They'll wail. But Israel, the church will say, I pierced him. 